Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Good morning, folks, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, here live from my bunker. If I sound a little bit down, it's because I am. Last night, I was watching the news. And, well, hard stop there. You can understand why I was down. But I was watching the news and the beat with Ari Melber. And they threw up a an incredible graphic that really struck to my core. Uh, the graphic read, COVID-19 has disproportionately affected African Americans. And it lists out some of... The seven major areas, um, listing out the percentage that African Americans make up of the population, and then the percentage of deaths. And I want to read you a few. Washington, D.C., African Americans make up 45% of the population. They are making up 75% of the deaths. New York, 9% of the population African-Americans make up 19% of the deaths. Louisiana, African-Americans make up 33% of the population, 65% of the deaths. Michigan, 14%, 46% of the deaths. Missouri, 12% of the population, African-Americans make up 44% of the deaths. Wisconsin, 7% of the population, 39% of the deaths. South Carolina, 27% of the population, 55% of the deaths. Last night I tweeted and I asked this question, and it's one that I really want everyone who is listening to Woke AF on a regular basis uh, to think about. If these numbers reflected how the coronavirus was ravaging white people, 
Do you think states would be rushing to reopen? You think there would be protests about stay-at-home orders? America always finds a way to remind us that Black lives do not matter. I read those statistics and my heart is extraordinarily heavy because it is always so unsettling, depressing, startling, just how little white people care about black people's lives and how much they do not matter. Black folks will care for your loved ones in the nursing homes that you shove them in and be on the front lines at the grocery stores, janitors cleaning up your hospitals, caregivers, MTA bus drivers, subway conductors. It's like we're invisible. And the only way that you know that we're there is because you're putting your foot on our fucking backs so that you can step up one more rung. And I realize that I really am starting to believe that this country is just doomed. I don't know if it's ever going to get any better. You know, if you are a religious person, maybe you're clinging to scripture in this moment. Um, You know, if you are a person that doesn't have any faith, if you're an atheist, you know, maybe this, the way that humans um, are treating one another uh, right now is just, you know, further proof right? That there is no God. When I think about what this virus is making us all see, it isn't just the disparities, right? It isn't just the fact that American American exceptionalism is bullshit and that so many areas of our society are broken, from our healthcare system to our education system to our economic system, it's all broken. And I don't think that it ever occurred to me really genuinely, right? Because I believe in democracy and I believe when I tell you all the time that people really do have power. It's why I end the show each day with power to the people and to all the people power because I believe it. It's not just a mantra, It's not just something to say. But when I look at these numbers and I think about these systems, the systems, the systemic racism and oppression that is so apparent, and I think about the faces of these white Trump supporters screaming about their fucking rights and their liberty and wanting a fucking haircut and walking around with AR-15s and gas masks. And I think about the black people that are probably dying alone in their homes because they don't have health care. Right? And um, Or going to a hospital and being told that your symptoms are not that bad, so then go home and then you go home and die. And I ask myself truly, like, 
when is the arc going to bend? When, you know, you, you think that in times of crisis that people band together. But what I realize now is that if these numbers, if these were white people, there's no way that Trump would be rushing to open the country. There's no way that these governors in some of the hardest hit places would be thinking about reopening when we still don't really know how the virus actually works and moves. We know that it's killing black people and Latinx people and the elderly. And I realize now that they're all people that Republicans feel are dispensable and are, don't really matter anyway. Why do you think for years we've had to chant Black Lives Matter? Because they fucking don't. Why do you think that Serena Williams, most famous athlete in the world, she's giving birth in a hospital a couple of years ago and she's telling the doctors and nurses that she has a pre-existing condition, a clotting problem, and that she is on medication for the treatment of blood clots. And that she could feel that she was losing breath. And she had to be her own advocate and get the treatment that she needed. But if she wasn't Serena Williams, she would be one of the one in five black women that die from giving birth in the wealthiest and most industrialized country in the West. How is that so? I just realized that in the rush to reopen that Republicans and these conservative white folks don't give a fuck about who they're trampling on. The faces that I see outside of these stores that are screaming and banging on their, the steps of City Hall to get in, they look like lynch mobs. They might as well be. They might as well be saying death to black people, death to the poor, death to the Latinx community. You know, if you are a religious person, I I genuinely ask you to pray because I don't know what's going to happen to us. We have a white supremacist in the White House, there are currently people, children, in concentration camps in this country. We haven't even been talking about how the coronavirus outbreak is faring in these detention centers. We've talked about prisons. We've talked about nursing homes. But no one on major news networks has talked about the detention centers, which were already seeing outbreaks of the regular flu that was killing kids. I don't know what this moment is supposed to teach us. I I honestly, I am losing um, my grip on what the lesson is supposed to be. Um, And I constantly say that when we're looking at Trump, all you need to do is follow the money, but you need to follow the money and you need to follow the racism. And you need to realize who the Republican Party and white folks think are expendable 
and who isn't. Those numbers, I don't give a fuck if you're black or not, they should be startling because you're not fucking immune. I don't know why this virus is ravaging my community. I, you know, I know intellectually, but in my heart, I don't know. It's like how much more can vulnerable populations take? You know, how much more does this country want us to bear for their economic prosperity? Right? The building of this nation was on the backs of enslaved Africans who gave their fucking lives for railroads and buildings and plantations and agriculture industry. And you're asking us to do it again some 400 years later without even fucking flinching. It's disgusting. It's despicable. And it should be fucking called out on a day-to-day basis every hour of every goddamn day. It isn't just about reopening the country. It's about whose lives are you willing to sacrifice in order to do it. So say it fucking loud. Just say that black lives don't matter. Just say you don't give a fuck about immigrants. Just say that Latinx community doesn't matter. Because this rush to reopen, that's exactly what it is about. You want us, black people, brown people, once again, to lay down our lives for your enrichment. That is the legacy of the Trump administration. And you know what? It's baked into the foundation of this country. Trump didn't make up racism. He just exploited it. I always look forward to welcoming back to Woke AF our Wednesday contributor, author Jonathan Metzel of Dying of Whiteness, and the director of Center for Medicine, Health, and Society at Vanderbilt University. Jonathan, welcome back. Uh, every Thank time, you so much. Great to be here. I always I, I look forward to Wednesdays because I have the opportunity to chat with you about so many things that I think that we are missing in this moment uh, of the COVID crisis and just the crisis of this administration. One of the things that I want to talk about today is this continued war that the Trump administration is waging against the World Health Organization. We know that they have already cut funding in the midst of a global pandemic to the World Health Organization. I also want to know, where's all that money going? Hmm? Uh, that we're no longer sending to them because it's not showing up in the states and it's not showing up in our stimulus packages um, that are dried up as quickly as they are disseminated. Um, You brought up an interesting theory to me as to why there is this continued drum against the World Health Organization and it's not necessarily what we think. Tell me what what you have found as you've been researching um, what's been happening right now. Well, thank you. That's a, that's a great way to begin the conversation. Let me say, first of all, that in a time of a global pandemic, you need global cooperation. We've seen this again and again and again over the course of this crisis and other pandemics 
Um, you need as much global cooperation as you possibly can because countries need to be not only sharing information and sharing knowledge, um, but also coordinating their responses so that the virus doesn't flare up in one place and then make another place more vulnerable. And that's really what the World Health Organization does. It's an organization that coordinates activities and it's been um, very active really from the get-go, really from the very beginning of this of this coronavirus crisis, has been sounding the alarm vocally um, for a couple of months when the Trump administration wasn't even paying attention to it, um, and has been coordinating research, um, kind of an umbrella organization and cooperation on everything from masks to vaccine research. Um, and so why in the world would anybody want to, want to upend that? Right. Um, and, and, and yet what we're seeing with the Trump administration is that Trump uh, first kind of caught a lot of people by surprise, cut funding to the World Health Organization. But, but that wasn't enough. Um, now they're trying to strip um, all any kind of resolution, take the World Health Organization's name off of everything. And the World Health Organization, again, oversees a lot of efforts. And so what the Trump administration is trying to do is is kind of um, go around the WHO by funding a bunch of different smaller initiatives that may or may not be politically motivated. Sounds familiar. That's also what they're doing in the United States. And really kind of upend any kind of centralized authority. Um, and we can talk about it in a, in a little bit, but it's really gotten to really appalling levels. Um, I have a lot of friends uh, who work with the WHO scientists who co- collaborate, and I can give you a few examples. Um, and, and so why would we do that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, um, number one is that it's a deflection, right? Uh, Trump, uh, time and again, has been trying to say, this isn't my fault, it's somebody else's fault. He's very good at, at passing the buck. Um, first, it was the China virus. Um, now yeah. you've noticed he's not really using that language anymore, but he needs a kind of a, a kind of boogeyman, right? And and that, that other very often is a racialized other. And so the WHO, with its link to the world, with its link to Europe, um, with a conveniently person of color who's a kind of easy uh, image to convey, it's a very easy, it's a very easy kind of boogeyman in a way. Um, now, I'm not saying the WHO is perfect. It's a very large multinational organization. Um, and, it, it, you know, it had some problems earlier with the uh, with the Ebola crisis, for example, where it was too slow. But that has not, not been the case here. And again, if there's some other organization that has a reach in all of these areas, um, you know, bring it on. But there, there isn't really. And so that's number one, is that it's a very convenient deflection for Trump. But we, you know, before, before you yeah. move on to number yeah. two, though, Jonathan, because we know, number one, we know that Donald Trump consistently defle- deflects from his wrongdoing. We know that he consistently will find the most marginalized group or um, or the right racial tone, right, to hit in order to get in order to draw attention away from his failings around America's response to COVID-19. And the fact is, right, that at this same time that he's blaming the WHO, we're learning from the Washington Post through the presidential's daily briefings that he was being briefed about COVID-19 back at the end of 2019 in December. And so how how is it that we continue to allow him to get – I mean, he's using the same goddamn playbook. It's not like he's trying something new. And the playbook works, right? It's it's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault that somebody else is not somebody who looks like me. It's not an organization that looks like us. So he's creating these categories of self and other. And 
and and it's effective apparently with good members of his base who now, without knowing anything about what the WHO does or doesn't do, um, you know, doesn't realize that the WHO has been warning the United States from the very beginning about this virus. Um, and not only that, the United States wrote many of the rules governing what the WHO does. So all these rules that Trump is now protesting were written by us. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third thing is, you know, WHO doesn't really have any actual power. It doesn't actually make anybody do anything. It's like a, it's, it's like the host of a cocktail party <laughs> for all the countries, right? And mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. in it, in a way, Trump is making it seem like the WHO is like doing all of this evil and nefarious stuff. The WHO doesn't actually do anything, right? It's it's like the United Nations or other kind of. It it's monitors basically an what is happening. Right, and it encourages and encourages cooperation. Which, right. oh my God, what what do you need more than anything is that right now? And and so, you know, again, it, there's this kind of go it alone mentality. We see the same model in, in the states, actually, where you need a kind of uniform response because this virus spreads. Everybody's not working off the same playbook, and so undermining the centralized authorities, creating the conditions of crisis, which then the GOP kind of moves right into, is exactly what it's doing on the on the world stage. Um, the other important thing about the WHO, if you, I encourage people who think the WHO is some kind of evil empire, just to look on the WHO mm-hmm. um, um, uh, website. Um, what the WHO does is, it, it, again, it's coordinating um, vaccine response. It's doing a lot of very, very, very important reports about about masks, about antibody testing, where it brings together the world's leading scientists. Another important thing that WHO does is it organizes efforts in places like sub-Saharan Africa um, where the virus is really going to be a major issue. And also there's a lot of other illnesses like malaria in sub-Saharan Africa. And so in a way what it's doing is trying to coordinate responses so that um, so that A, there aren't major outbreaks in very, very vulnerable countries, mm-hmm. um, countries where most people are not white conveniently mm-hmm. um, and all and, uh, and also because um, because the, the risk of, of other kinds of illnesses there are ones that that really we shouldn't be forgetting about and so this fact that this is an organization that also deals with with South America with immigration with Africa that might be great red meat for for Trump's base but ultimately it, it's, it's it's really a looming disaster in terms of just what what's going to happen on, on, on other continents and also what's going to happen to I mean the pandemic means everybody in the world's facing the same crisis um, and so it, it's just it's really it's it's completely completely upsetting I, I mentioned before that I had a couple of examples um, the WHO for example had a massive um, kind of all hands on deck um, uh, bringing together of all the all the vaccine scientists, all the vaccine trials, everything like that. Um, the U.S. didn't even send anybody. <laughs> I mean, the WHO office in, in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, and so the U.S. didn't even send anybody from uh, on a government role. I mean, Bill Gates was there, um, but nobody from the U.S. government came, even though the the, um, the um, U.S. consul in Switzerland is right next door to the WHO, effectively. And so the, all these other countries are moving at lightning speed, and it's leaving the United States behind because we're not we're not cooperating. But um, we, the, and the idea here, right, is my assumption, is that America is not cooperating right now because of Trump and the Republicans' uh, concept of isolationism, 
right? They have moved us away from collaborating with our allies, from working in lockstep and coordination on issues, whether it be right now in the midst of a global pandemic, whether it was climate change, any of the, whether it's trade, any of these big, uh, the understanding, the concept here is that we have ceased to be an island upon ourselves for generations at this point. But Trump's idea of making America great again was essentially burying our heads in the sand, not caring about or paying attention to or participating in, let alone leading any of these global efforts, right? And so because of that, we there in this particular moment, no one is even looking for our leadership because we have become so deficient in that in, in, on the world stage over the past three and a half years. You know, it, 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 the world is just moving without us, really. I mean, it's such a massive abdication of our global role, not just as leaders, but as global citizens. And so mm-hmm. really what's happening is that the rest of the world is just moving on. I mean, the, the, the draining of our authority and, um, is, is, it's unprecedented in a particular way from where we were a couple of years ago to now in terms of all of these issues, not just um, science and, and development, but public health. And just being a moral voice in the world, it's, it's, it's really gone in a, in a way. And, and it's going to take a lot of work to get that back. I mean, can you imagine it's like during the World War II, we had acted this way, for example, we, we'd all be living under Nazi rule right now. I um, mean, we, we, and, but that, but aren't like, and so people always think that I'm being hyperbolic, but aren't we? Like, aren't, aren't we in this, aren't we under Trump? Aren't we living under the most oppressive regime? I mean, the rest of the world is watching in horror and also deep sadness, right? Over the loss of what they thought, right? Was this idea of American exceptionalism. Like, look, they always, this young, scrappy country, right? Relative to other nations in the world has been able to be a global power, but they haven't done so on their own. We've done so with the with the understanding, like you're saying, of our role, our ability to collaborate, our ability to build, right, together. And yet, here we are now. And so my fear is, one, that we are not looking at Trump's deflection in the way that we should be. We're not talking about Trump's deflection in the way that we should be. We're not equating what is happening right now with the World or- with the World Health Organization to his perpetuation of white supremacy, right? We're not look we're not connecting the dots. How do you think that we begin to connect the dots? And when I say we, I mean Democrats. It's, it's so hard, right? Because Trump has this bullhorn right now. And so what we can't see, I mean, loss of global authority is something that people may or may not care about. Um, but the other part is that the, the domestic implications of this failure of leadership are profound, but, um, but they never seem to fall back on Trump. I mean, closing the borders, having no immigration, um, is creating m- multiple kind of crises in, in other countries. But it's also causing a lot of crisis points in the United States. Farms, for example, um, I, I read this morning that there's a shortage by 100,000 uh, workers on, on many farms um, for people who kind of pick the produce mm-hmm. that people need and fruits and vegetables. So it's uh, it's going to create a food crisis, for example, our immigration policy. Um, and so the fact that... Um, the fact that these things are happening because of these horrible GOP policies would then create the conditions of despair um, 
it never, we never end up closing the loop, right? We end up always playing defense um, because Trump is out there saying, I'm protecting America. And then he'll stick the, you know, oh, there's no food on the table back on the Democrats when really it resulted from his administration's policies. Um, so it's, it's tough when he's got this bullhorn right now. Um, I, you know, I, again, I think it's important for the Democrats to seize the initiative. I think that there is a kind of larger moral argument to be made about um, what happens when the U.S. leaves the world, which we have clearly lost. Um, I think that, you know, I think that there needs to be a very aggressive kind of economic uh, message from, from the Democrats, which is a unifying economic message. There are ways in which they can go on the offensive, but it's hard because every day, of course, Trump comes up with something more outrageous. They just, you know, you have to, you, people feel like they have to respond to it every day, and they probably do, but it, but it does make it hard when we always playing catch up. If you were whispering in the ear of the Biden campaign right now, which, you know, I got to tell you, I don't know where they are, right? I, I really don't. And I'm paying attention, like you are, to the news every single day, and I don't know what they're doing. So if you were to whisper into the ear of the Biden campaign on this particular issue, what would you say that they need to do? I would say, yeah, I would say WWTD, which is what would Trump do if he was in this position right now, right? He would be seizing the, um, he would be seizing the spotlight every single day. Um, he would have a counter to every single thing that was happening, a big kind of critique. Now, I understand it's hard because there's a real reluctance to, um, there's a real reluctance to kind of undermine a, a, a leader during a war, a war effort and things like that. But I, it doesn't make any sense to me why the Democrats haven't created their own kind of counter press briefings, um, you know, massive show of leadership. Here's an alternative vision. Maybe they're waiting for some later date and seeing how this plays out. But I would say that just that there have to be ways to kind of seize the headlines. They're, they've abdicated every single headline <laughs> to Trump. And, and I, I really think that there needs to be a, a, a massive push to not just like here's our economic plan, but actually in specifics, figure out ways to um, to create a kind of counter narrative, which really has been has been absent. Maybe, maybe again, maybe they're waiting, uh, waiting for I that. I mean, I don't know. Waiting. Are they waiting for 22 more, 22 million more Americans to file for unemployment? Are they waiting for yeah. uh, for the number of coronavirus cases to double to two million in the United States? The number of deaths to double to over a hundred thousand? Like, I, I there is no time like the present to take action. And yet, yeah. you're, to, to your point, I'm looking around and I'm saying, why are we the only ones talking? Why isn't there a press conference every single day But other than Governor Cuomo? Governor Cuomo, to me, in New York, is the only person who has a counter punch and point and conversation than Donald Trump does. He is literally the only Democrat. Right. No, and, and that, that has to be the model in particular. I mean, how can you channel that? It's, it's just, I've been waiting every single day for that to happen. Um, there's also a lot of, right now, Democratic infighting that I find concerning, kind of re, re-litigating the primary. Um, and, and so in a way, now is not, <laughs> now is not the time for that. The stakes are incredibly, incredibly high. I think it has to be a top-down, here's the coherent message kind of thing. But I do think that I, I, I initially I thought that that Governor Cuomo was modeling what the Democrats were, were then going to start doing uh, as a party. And I, it, for me, it, it, 
you know, I, I mean, hopefully there's a plan, but I, I personally have not seen it yet. And, and, and again, if you just open the paper any day, every single headline is Trump. And so there has to be a better strategy or, you know, as you're saying, doing, doing the Cuomo strategy or nationalizing tech, nationalize the Cuomo <laughs> press conferences, something like that. I just, you know, I, I am very worried. I'm very worried that Democrats are kind of resting on their laurels and think that, oh, well, we'll just let this play out. We'll let this prank, this plane uh, nosedive. Right. And then people will wake up and be like, oh, I'm in this I'm in this mess. I'm in this situation because of an imbecile in the White House, because of his lack of globalization, his lack of understanding, his basic inability to understand facts and science. Um, And that's why I'm here. To, you know, the point that we made before we even started the interview is that that's not what the poll numbers are saying. Right. And so if you have this rabid 40 percent of the population that will literally follow Donald Trump off of a cliff and you don't have a counter narrative to this idea that um, opening up the economy is more important than saving lives, that the quote unquote pro-life party has become the death party. Um, willing to sacrifice whomever and whatever in order to make a buck, literally. If you're not doing that, then where do we see ourselves in November? I wish I could talk to more political consultants, honestly, because um, you, you know, you and I have real conversations. But I've been asked in a number of media conversations, what people ask me, like, what death number would it take for Republicans to to start turning on Trump? Because you know, we're gonna we're gonna have some very we have. A, you know, we're number one in terms of death for, from coronavirus, mm-hmm. and that number is just going to go up as these states, um, you know, ridiculously reopen with no plan. And, and I keep telling them there there is no such number. Like that's a liberal mm-hmm. fantasy mm-hmm. to think that people are going to change their mind. In fact, the more the more desperate people people become because of Trump's Trump's policies, the more they're going to follow Trump if there's no alternative narrative. And so, in a way, it's not like just letting these death numbers speak for themselves is going to work. It's going to make people more ideological, more racist, more, uh, more, you know, more willing to follow him because they don't, you know, it's hard to see that he's created the conditions of despair, which then he derives from. That's his whole playbook. Um, in my book, Dying of Whiteness, I, I showed a precursor to that, that basically people were dying from not having the Affordable Care Act and it made them more against the Affordable Care Act because of the racial script that the GOP put over it about, about Obama and Obamacare. And, and I think we're seeing that again and again now. It's not like people are just going to wake up. And I think the, de- the Democrats should not be waiting for that. They should be very clearly articulating a better a better path forward and also, you know, highlighting all of these problems. And the other part of this is what we were talking about with the World Health Organization, which is Trump is a master of deflection, and, and all demagogues are. It's not my never my fault. It's somebody else's fault. Um, and he and he picks the right target every time for his, for his base. He picks a target that marshals all of these underlying racial ideologies, all of these uh, biases and fears. And so there's also just this continued deflection narrative of nothing ever being my fault and picking just these, you know, kind of straw men, racialized straw men, um, organizations like WHO or, you know, things like that. And so in a way, until the Democrats can seize the counter narrative. Um, I, I think that, you know, again, we're just oh, we're just leaving this open for, for Trump. Well, Jonathan, we're going to continue, as always, to keep our eyes on all of 
the news that is unfolding, but I have to tell you that, you know, just a few days until May, I'm not feeling very good about where Democrats are in this moment. Uh, and, and, the the idea that we're just playing this waiting game it's either we act or we're going to witness not only our demise through a very vicious virus but through our political ineptitude and and also just there's so much pain and suffering and loss right now i mean i i spent the week going to you know zoom funerals last week i mean there's so much despair right now that i think a, a, a you know, people need some hope right now. And so in in a way, I think I really do think there's an opening um, and not just, you know, politics, but just life. I mean, this is, there's, we're, we're in a moment of crisis. We're in a moment of trauma and, and we need some, some path forward. Well, I hope, well, we'll continue the conversation as we do to try and figure out exactly what that path forward is. Um, yes. Because like I keep saying, time is of the Ennis essence jonathan metzel thank you so much for for your conversation and for your contribution to woke af daily on a weekly basis we appreciate you so much thank you thank you Always excited to welcome back to the show, Kurt Bardella, as you guys know, is an MSNBC Morning Joe, NBC News Think, and USA Today contributor, and I'm lucky because he is one of Woke AF's contributors as well. Um, Kurt, there seems to be pivots happening in this White House, um, and one of them, notably, yesterday was the disappearance of the doctors uh, at what was not labeled a COVID briefing that we have come to know, but the ramblings were still present. Um, But Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks were missing. We're being told or reports are telling us that they are no longer going to have a uh, public-facing position that they will still be attending the meetings behind closed doors, but that the president and the Trump administration are making this pivot towards hard reopening and economic, all economics all the time. What do you make about this? Well, I think that what the president and his allies have finally, uh, I think, realized is the coronavirus isn't something that you can beat with lies. It's not something you can beat with uh, hyperbole and tweets and bullying and all of the things that we've seen Trump uh, use as instruments throughout his presidency to overcome uh, mostly self-inflicted challenges. Uh, in, in this case, that, that, that doesn't work because this virus is spreading. It's, its death toll is escalating, and no wishful thinking or delusional thinking can change that. And so rather than talk about the medical and health realities mm-hmm. of the coronavirus. Uh, I think the president and the Republicans have now uh, decided that they are going to pivot away from uh, the medical facts and focus instead on the economy and, and, and even still uh, trying to advance this blame China narrative mm-hmm. to try to distract away from all of the failures and incompetencies that we've seen so far from the president, the fact that there are states and Republican governors who are now moving to uh, reopen uh, you know, their states and, and, and relax social distancing guidelines against the, the advice of any 
medical healthcare professional that's uh, aware of what's going on right now tells you that they are way more concerned mm-hmm. with the, the public optics than with public health. And I think it's a huge risk. I got to say, I, you know, this president and these Republicans are literally gambling their entire political future on the idea that if they let people out right now, mm-hmm. no one else is going to get sick, that this virus won't start spreading uh, even more widely again, that people won't. They're asking their their supporters to put their lives and the lives of their families in their hands. And, and I just don't think that's going to end well based on everything that we know about this from a medical health standpoint. You know, I love the fact that you use the word gamble. Right. Because I honestly do think that that's what they are doing. They are gambling. Right. They are putting all the chips on the table and they are basically saying they are willing to gamble that the two to three percent that scientists and doctors have told us are at risk of death. Right. If contracting this virus, that they are gambling on the fact that those people are expendable and that the majority of Americans will be happy with going back to work even though they don't know if they will fall among the 2 to 3% or even if they don't meet their maker, that they won't be completely and totally impaired by the virus in hospital for uh, a month at a time or in quarantine for, for weeks at a time, which has been known to happen with this virus that we're still learning about. Even the protesters, you know, there are signs that say, you know, we shouldn't shut down the economy for the weakest among us. I saw that with my own eyes. What does that say about a party that has been based around being (laughs) pro-life when they're willing to sacrifice Two to three percent of the population. Now, I want people to understand, because I've been talking about this on Woke AF for quite some time, that if the country is made up, is the population in total is around 328 to 330 million people, you're talking about sacrificing upwards of six to eight million people. Mm-hmm. In that two to three percent. This isn't that's that's six to eight million people. Funerals, six to eight million families, friends, and loved ones that will have to bury a loved one because of this decision. How did they? How did they rationalize this? You know, it's it, it's like everything. It comes down to I think you know a combination of economics and class warfare. Mm. Uh, I think that if you know we've seen time and again throughout this uh, entire period of time that disproportionately people of color are the ones who are suffering the most Mm -hmm. Uh, that that, that low income economically disadvantaged uh, families are the ones that are bearing the brunt of this. And we know that this is the people that Republicans don't care about at all. They don't give a shit about these people. Yep. Uh, And, 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 you know, these are the same people that they target with their, with their, with their racial profiling policies. Mm -hmm. It's the same people that they, uh, that that they call uh, people from shithole countries. Yep. Uh, have no problem with white supremacists and police brutality, uh, you know, instigating things against this community. Of course, they don't care if they go to work and die. Uh, they, they view them uh, as uh, it's almost like an extension of indentured servitude in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, they, 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 that, that to them, to the to this white party, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. these people 
are the, the they are truly the economic engine that makes our country go. They do all the things that allow uh, these rich entitled CEOs to 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 have their private jets, to stay in their vacation homes, to escape the realities of the of this virus. Uh, they don't care if they send those people to work at the slaughter, mm. uh, because to them they're just an expendable cog in the wheel of of of, of their economy. And you notice, I don't see. Donald Trump out there with all the masses. <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, he, he hasn't he hasn't held his rallies, right? I, Saying I see, down down with social distancing, up with virus. I don't see Stephen Miller or or Kaylee McEnany or or Kellyanne Conway and Mark Meadows and all of those people that are making these policies. I don't see them mm. uh, hanging out in crowds of people. So uh, as, as always, it's do as I say, not as I do. And if a couple million people have to get get sick and die in the process to Trump, oh, well, that's okay. We'll just replace them with other people. It doesn't matter. But, you know, Kurt, a part – so a part of Donald Trump's base is those wealthy elite one percenters, right? Mm -hmm. Right? The people that – they're not going to have to sacrifice themselves or they're young or anything. They're going to stay up in their ivory tower while everyone else on the ground does their bidding, right, in order to enrich them. That's Mm -hmm. how capitalism works in America. But another part of Trump's base are indeed the white workers, right? Didn't he ride into office on the the myth of the aggrieved uh, white working class? So why do you think well, that these the people irony. are willing to sacrifice themselves for what they perceive to be the greater good? That's what I don't understand. This has always been the, the, the great, I think, scam of, of Donald Trump. The idea that this billionaire mm-hmm. who lives in, 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 these, in, the, in these towers with his golden toilet seats and, and all of that, that somehow he is the the, the 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 man of the working class, the patron saint power, of the of the working class. It's the clearest example of people actually voting against their own self interest that I have ever seen. Mm-hmm. And for for, for 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 that middle America, Southern America, white America, um, that celebrates Trump, they somehow don't seem to understand that. If they actually do what he tells them to do, they're going to die. If you mm-hmm. inject yourself with, with bleach, it's not going to end too well for you. Uh, and so I, I, I bang my head against the wall, honestly, when I see that Fox News audience, uh, you know, for you know, this predominantly white audience, yep. cheering and, 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 and hollering and hooting for Donald Trump when the things that he is prescribing would kill them all. And, and, and they are the ones who are going to experience hardship if they go back out there in places like Georgia or Wisconsin uh, you know, and Texas. They're, they're, they're putting their own welfare and health in harm's way thinking, oh, no, there's no way that Donald Trump or, or these governors would ever tell me to do this if it would actually hurt me. So uh, they like to make this almost a mocking type of, oh, those liberals are always crying and whining and they're weak and afraid. Well, we're strong and we're – tough and we got our guns and our second amendment and our freedom prize and that's going to be enough to stave off this pandemic uh which again if 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 tom hanks can get this 
if Chris Cuomo can get this, mm-hmm. if uh, you know Idris Elba people, can get this, <laughs> you, know? Uh, 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 you know, who have <laughs> if celebrities and wealthy people, world, right? If they can get it, uh, I don't understand how anyone else thinks that somehow because they carry a gun, that's going to make them immune from this suddenly. That's, I mean, it, 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 it really. I am always dumbstruck by the way that that sect of Trump's base, unwavering base, thinks about themselves. It's like as if they think that their whiteness prescribes them with some type of lottery ticket that they're sitting on that they're going to be able to cash in at some time. Now, look, white supremacy is real and like and in some ways is currency but when we're talking about a global pandemic that actually doesn't see borders right that doesn't see age we we were wrong in the beginning when we said that it only was going to affect the elderly yesterday mm-hmm. i heard reports about a 24 year old woman who was pregnant who they were they had to have an emergency c section the baby survived the mother did not and she was 24 We've heard stories of the first, you know, child that has died from the coronavirus in the United States that was five years old, right? So we know that what we initially thought is not true, but the numbers do show us that it is disproportionately affecting and killing black and brown people. Do you believe that if those numbers were not, like, why do they believe those numbers, right? (laughs) That, oh, it's only that, but they don't believe the overarching numbers that 55, over 55,000 people have died in the United States in the past two months, right? Even Tucker Carlson got on air on Fox the other day and said, the economies are reopening in some states because the virus is not as bad as we thought is close to uh, 60,000 people dying in two months not that bad? And, and again, this is, it reminds me of the response that we saw, the drastic difference in response we saw when you know, hurricanes devastated San Juan, but then when they came and, and storms hit Texas. Right. And for Trump and the Republicans, it's, well, this is really you know, hitting New York and big cities. In urban areas, it's not hitting in their minds Oklahoma or Arkansas or or, or South Carolina or Alabama. Uh, if it were, I guarantee you, if 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 sixty percent of the deaths of Corona were, were were white people in Middle America, they'd be approaching this a whole lot different. Uh, and and you see just in how they're reacting to this and the and, and the type of uh, protesting you're seeing from people in like Wisconsin. Uh, you know, and Georgia and this, you know, our rights versus theirs, the big mm-hmm. government telling us what to do or, you know, all this nonsense. Um, you know, it, it's totally driven through a racial lens. And I think that if the situation were reversed, uh, it would be dramatically different. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's always easy to be cavalier when it's other people's lives. Mm-hmm. It's always easier mm-hmm. to be dismissive when it's, oh, those other people over there, not here. And the irony, of course, is by rushing out there prematurely, they are putting themselves at tremendous risk uh, of, of having this happen to them, of, of, of having how it spread in highly populated, dense areas like New York uh, and, and places in like Maryland. Uh, that's going to happen 
in Georgia and Wisconsin if, if they foolishly go out there and act like nothing is going on. There's no harm to be had here. Right. Uh, and, and they'll have only themselves to blame, honestly. But if they won't. They won't enough, blame themselves, Kurt. We, we, we know that. <laughs> oh, of course not. It'll, it'll be something else. There's always an excuse, always a reason not to uh, uh, hold Donald Trump accountable. And I think that the one thing that Trump keeps doing, though, that is uh, beyond stupid, is putting himself front and center, having these these press briefings, uh, and, and and giving the American people a daily reminder of who is in charge right now. You know, during previous crises, you'd never see, deliberately so, the president of the United States front and center every day. Uh, you know, during no, because Ebola. they would be working, no. <laughs> right. And it's like during Ebola, you know, President Obama's age were very deliberate. They only put him out there two or three times because they wanted the medical professionals and scientists to be front and center and drive the response, not the politics of it. And here we've seen a kind of a reversal of that script. And Donald Trump making himself – he took a, a, a two-day break from these briefings, we'll call it, uh, before he couldn't help but get back out there in front of the TV cameras again. So he is setting himself up for failure by making himself the, the face of everything as he can't help himself because he's a narcissist. Mm -hmm. uh, but also when this thing goes south. Because it will, right? Of course it will. I mean, it's science. I mean, this right. is a, this it's, it's, That's the thing. thing. It's, it's like, it's, it's science. It's a certainty. It's not a matter of if it's going to happen in the state of Florida or the state of Texas, these places that are beginning their reopenings. It's just a matter of when. Right. Uh, and I think that, you're going to see a huge backlash in the fall when this goes south. Um, when people went out there because they, they, they thought that it was safe because their political leaders told them so. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that they all get sick and a lot of them die. Um, you know, the, 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 the blood of those people will be on the hands of Donald Trump and the Republican Party. So let's uh, look at a piece uh, written by uh, Morning Joe's, uh, Joe Scarsborough in the Washington Post this week, the cost of Trump's deadly state of denial. And, you know, in the piece, Joe goes through essentially a timeline, right? A timeline mm -hmm. that begins back in February when, I mean, be, excuse me, begins back in January when he writes this, <clears throat> Trump said the coronavirus was, quote, one person coming in from China. Quote, we have it totally under control. It's going to be just fine. But the president's intelligence community had been warning him for weeks about the about the coming threat when he made that spurious claim. He goes on to talk about in February that Trump predicted that the virus would go away by April. Well, <laughs> at the end of this week, we're going to be in May. Right. And Trump said this. It's like a miracle. It'll disappear. Joe says that reckless prediction also came weeks after the White House staff warned the virus would imperil millions of Americans lives while costing the U.S. economy trillions of dollars. He goes about talking in this piece about Trump's magical thinking. We hear other Republicans come out in defense of this president and saying, well, he is a cheerleader. He is about optimism. Is this optimism? Is it magical thinking or is it stupidity or a combination of all three? Well, first of all, I, I, I've never heard anybody 
be able to describe Donald Trump as an optimistic guy. This is someone who has mm. used and weaponized the politics of fear and divisiveness and the racism to advance a radical and racist agenda imposed on uh, the most vulnerable in our society. Mm-hmm. There's nothing optimistic about Donald Trump. Uh, secondly, uh, you know, Joe's right that, that, that basically Donald Trump has been bumbling his way through this entire process, uh, frantically searching uh, for, for some sort of, of message that he can hold on to to try to avoid accountability, trying to avoid being held responsible, uh, while also trying to stave off uh, you, know, you know Joe Biden, who who is is appearing stronger and stronger every day. Uh, I, you know, I think that the idea that anything Trump does is actually truly thought out and deliberate um, is, uh, I think we've seen time again that, that that's just not true. He is an impulsive person with the with the impulse control of a six year old, mm. and he just does and says whatever comes to his mind at any given point in time. I'm just again the other day the fact that we started Bleach. the day. With the White House saying, there's not going to be a press briefing. We got through the day, and then all of a sudden, you know what we're going to do one in the Rose Garden, as it turns out. <laughs> uh, you know, and, 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 when he, and when he made those absurd comments about bleach and disinfectants, it was, well, first he said it. Then it was, well, medical professionals are, are doing studies. Then it was, he was joking. He was sarcastic about it. Uh, they changed the story so many times in just one day, you can't even keep track. And um, But when asked, Kurt, just because, again— he said for the second time that he takes no responsibility. When asked by a reporter, do you take responsibility for the fact that poison control boards around this country are, excuse me, having to field, field thousands of calls about whether or not they should pop a Tide Pod or, you know, instead <laughs> of wiping their surfaces with the Clorox bleach, maybe wipe their bodies with it. 30 people, you know, there there are people around this country that, again, believe everything that he says. And he told the reporter, I take no responsibility. Again. So how do you put yourself, like you said, as the face of this pandemic, the things that you are offering have no scientific and medical merit whatsoever. People follow that, get sick. More people die but you take no responsibility for something that you've made yourself the face of. How does that work? <laughs> you know, it's the same people, ironically enough, that follow this guy who also doubt, you know, the science of climate change. Um, you know, people who are routinely used to not, uh, who following a guy who doesn't know anything about fact or science and who doesn't place a priority or a value on, on truth. Uh, you know, this is a president who's told more than 10,000 lies since taking office. Mm-hmm. And, and he lies about everything about the, as trivial as crowd sizes at an inauguration, which who really cares about that, uh, you know, to the, the very important, such as our public health, uh, right. and, you know, during coronavirus. But when you follow a guy who just lies uh, as, as easy as it is to breathe, you know, this this is what you get. You know, it, it's clear that his following, they don't care about the truth. They don't care about facts. Uh, they don't care about honesty. If they did, they wouldn't have voted and supported Donald Trump uh, throughout his entire political career here. So uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like you, you get what you ask for sometimes in life. And you know, the, the, you know, the people that support him and blindly follow him and the people who enable him and defend him, um, you know, they're, they're about to find themselves in, in a world of their own making. And ultimately, it could cost them their life. 
You know, it seems to me that the only thing that Trump cares about is the election and money, right? In order for him to continue to secure the bag, as the kids say, he needs to secure the White House. And in doing so, doesn't care about who he's putting in harm's way so long as the gamble pays off. Because Trump has been gambling his entire life. Um, what do you think about how November looks at this moment? There are polls that come out that are still coming out. Uh, some have his approval rating up. Some have them down. Most have Biden ahead. Some have Trump ahead. What is, you know, every week I'm going to ask you, what's your prediction based on the bullshit that has happened this week <laughs> on, on where we will where we will end up? But in, in the recent pollings, what do you what do you think? How do you, you think know, overall, that we're going to fare? You know, I think if you if you look at where things stand at this moment in time, you know, Biden by and large has an eight point lead over Trump uh, among 2020 general election voters. Uh, you know, Biden 52, Trump 44. Uh, you know, you very rarely in any polling since the beginning of the Trump presidency ever see the president break uh, above really 45 percent, which is incredibly troubling for an incumbent president uh, under even the best of mm-hmm. scenarios. Um, you know, there's even, you know, a slightly larger universe of self-identified Republicans who say that they would vote for Biden about one in 10, um, which is uh, profound when you look at, and, you know, people forget, despite the fact that Trump won, he still lost the popular vote by 3 million votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and it was against a, a candidate in Hillary who, for better or worse, there is no Republican who would, who would vote for Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. for, for a myriad of reasons. Uh, that's not that, that's different this time, uh, and you know there are Republicans, you know, and, and even though it might only be one in ten, if that actually happens in November, that's enough to change the election, frankly. And then when you look at the independents, Biden has a double-digit lead and has had one over over Trump for for the better part of the year in all hypothetical matchups. Uh, you know, you combine that with the fact that Trump's approval rating on his handling of the Corona outbreak. Uh, outbreak, you know, has 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 basically been trending downward. Now there was kind of that initial mm-hmm. you real know, support high, our leader we're back, support yeah. our leader, which is what the American people do. But now that's going back down uh, into the 40s again. And the interesting thing is, uh, you know, the number of Americans who actually watch these briefings has been declining over the past month. Uh, at one point, um, I think it was something along the lines of, you know, 54 percent said said they watch it. Uh, and, and about two weeks ago, that number was 64%. So we've seen a 10% drop in viewership of these briefings in, in, in just two weeks. Mm. Uh, and, and, and because people are just, I, I, you know, again, no matter whether you like the president or you don't, you're, I think people are saying they're not getting what they need when it comes to public health information uh, and, and things to need for your kids who are sitting right there with you, by the way, because there's nowhere you can go. Right. I, I think people are, are changing the channel a little bit now, and I think that benefits Joe Biden. Well, we will see. Kurt Bardella, thank you so much for for joining us and giving some insight into the Republican mind like (laughs) only you can do. (laughs) I appreciate you so much. You have yourself a great week. Stay healthy and we'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. That's it for me here, folks. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck and remain healthy and safe as fuck. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.